Welcome to another episode of the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Urias, and we are recording this Monday, January 29th, 2024, and that might be a date significant to some if you are an NFL fan and specifically a San Francisco 49er fan and a Kansas City Chief fan because the Super Bowl 58 field is at NFL Conference Championship weekend comes to a close. And man, was it a crazy one because we had two ridiculously crazy games on Sunday afternoon in the AFC and the NFC. As Within the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens duked it out at M&T Bank Stadium. And then, of course, across the country in Santa Clara, the San Francisco 49ers hosted the Detroit Lions. And two crazy games, two wacky games, two games that had their own storylines within themselves. And of course, it's going to be the Super Bowl that nobody wanted with the 49ers and the Chiefs. You got the Taylor Swifties, the Donna Kelseys, the Travis Kelseys, the Patty Mahomes haters of the world are going to be rooting for the 49ers. Or those who hate the 49ers a little bit more are going to be rooting for those Kansas City Chiefs who are on the fight of going or trying to win back-to-back Super Bowls for the first time since the Patriots in the early 2000s. It's a Super Bowl that a lot of people are not going to have any rooting interest for, but as a 49er fan, we are all in on the Niners. But before we actually break down that game, you know what, we got to backtrack a little bit. Because we haven't had an NFL episode all year long. And it's for good reason. Because the NFL, the product this year in 2023 going into 2024 has just been bad. It's been really bad. And bad enough to the point where as an NFL fan, as a football fan, as a as a diehard sports fan that just wants to watch as many games as possible. And of course be a part of the NFL experience. I just couldn't wrap my head around some of these games this year. And it was just a brutally bad product, yet somehow, some way, the NFL just continues to shatter and break records with their TV numbers. And it's just amazing how that works out. But at the end of the day, they somehow find a way to pull it off, no matter how bad the matchups are. And let's start there. Because this primetime schedule this year, folks, was just absolutely brutal. And those to those, those that know me personally... They heard me complain about this. They heard me complain about that I was watching more college football during during the fall months than some NFL. And I understand some the game days fall on very different days. And don't get me wrong, I was still watching NFL on Sundays and all that jazz. But sometimes I would just tune the games out. They would just be good games to have on in the background while I'm doing something else. Because the games themselves were just completely unentertaining and... You know, we could talk about the primetime schedule. I'm most certainly going to talk about it. There was something that didn't even have a primetime game this year. I'm talking about the Houston Texans, the Atlanta Falcons, the Arizona Cardinals, the Indianapolis Colts. What happened to that? What happened to that rule that we said everyone was going to play on a Thursday night? Because let's just be honest, it's brutal to play on Thursday nights if you're an NFL team. You don't get to go through the same prep, the walkthroughs, everything else in between. It's bad on the player's body. All this talk about player safety. When it's all said and done, do we really care about the players? We keep adding on games. We keep adding on international destinations. London, Munich, Germany. I hear we're going to Brazil. 
who we're already in Mexico. Heck, who knows? We should just go to Italy and Australia and everywhere else in between because when it's all said and done, I understand the NFL is a global product, but we just got to do something better about this when it comes to the primetime schedule, the scheduling, and I understand the scheduling making is absolutely a really hard job, but we got to do, we got to get a whole lot better at it and make sure that every team plays on prime time because look at the Houston Texans this year. They had zero prime time games. Nobody knew about this team unless the folks that had red zone or were in the, the, the Houston based area that follow their team on a regular basis. No one knew about the Houston Texans until week 18, the average Jeffrey or Joe and as well as Susie Q. They didn't know about the Houston Texans until week 18 when they were playing for the division title in the AFC South versus the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, what are we doing here? I understand we have injuries, but and things like that, but why are the why are the New York Jets and the New York Giants playing five games? We all know they suck. And I understand the Aaron Rodgers injury kind of put every everybody in a loop and put the TV networks in a bad spot. But seriously, come on. The Chicago Bears playing four games in primetime schedule. You get the gist. There is There are a whole lot of bad teams playing four to five primetime games on an NFL season, and that just can't happen. We got to have some sort of grasp on this type of stuff going into the season. And I understand the New York Jets angle because they were a hyped-up team, and Aaron Rodgers is good for TV. We see him on Pat McAfee every Tuesday. And he somehow, some way, finds a way to put on a show for the national TV audience. I get that. But we just got to find a way to clean up this primetime schedule. And it starts there. Another thing, an NFL record. Ten rookie quarterbacks have started a game this season. It's fascinating in the NFL right now because we're in this period where the old guys are gone and the new guys are coming up. And I think that's why the NFL, when you combine the primetime schedule along with this period where we're kind of getting the new guys up into tier one status. We're kind of in that period right now. But the amount of rookie quarterbacks that started a game this year was just remarkable. Let's go down the list real quick. Bryce Young for the Carolina Panthers. Clayton Toon for the Arizona Cardinals. Tommy DeVito, of course we know Tommy DeVito. All the Italians know DeVito. And Sean Stellato with this green suit in the Big Easy. Absolutely love it as an Italian fan. was an absolutely great story. But Tommy DeVito, congrats. You live with your parents. You get baked ziti every morning with a couple of cutlets to top it all off. Other than that, it, he, was, he was nothing special. He had a nice little game-winning drive this year on Monday Night Football. But he's not a franchise guy. Tyson Bajant, Division Three legend. Started some a couple of games with the Chicago Bears. Of course, we had Taylor Hall, the rookie out of BYU. He started a game or two against the Minnesota Vikings. Will Levis from Kentucky. He was running the Tennessee offense for the back half of the season. Aiden O'Connell. Of course, the Raiders always find a way to run some kind of soap opera with their head coach and the players within their facilities. They had Aiden O'Connell there under the helm for a large majority of the season. C.J. Stroud, who I think is one of the more better quarterbacks out of this rookie class. I know we're still early, but he is the truth. It's as simple as that. He's the truth. Anthony Richardson, who is a fascinating player who started for a couple games for the Indianapolis Colts, but his season came very short. And obviously Gardner Minshew picked up the pieces there. And of course, the final quarterback to round off the 10 rookie quarterbacks 
that started an NFL game this year, Dorian Thompson Robinson, the rookie out of UCLA, who is a very good mobile quarterback, but we have seen we have yet to seen all too much with his arm. So when you put in 10 rookie quarterbacks starting in that yes, some of them got drafted and some of them have the expectation of starting on week one, but half of those guys weren't supposed to start. And you, when you have third string quarterbacks coming in here, and playing games, some of them were on short notice, on short weeks. I mean, that just throws kind of another monkey wrench into the madness here of why the product has been so bad. And going back to the point on the 10 rookie quarterbacks that started a game, we were in a very similar spot last year where 22 teams utilized the backup quarterback, which was that was an NFL record. So teams got to start valuing the quarterback position a whole lot more. Yes. There are a whole lot of guys in the NFL that shouldn't be starting. There are a whole lot of guys that are backups that shouldn't be on NFL rosters. Some there's I could go tell you a couple guys that are going to be playing in the UFL this spring that are going to be that will be better than some of these guys that started this year. And those are just rookies that we rattled off here too. So the NFL, and I understand it's not the league's fault, but we got to be better evaluators and all this. Because there are a whole lot of guys that shouldn't be playing that are playing. And it just happened to be that a lot of those guys were playing on prime time. Now, I understand it's hard to get the quarterback right. There are a whole lot of quarterbacks, like I said, that shouldn't be starting to begin with. And it's just hard to get the quarterback right in the draft. I mean, you need the proper right. You need the proper head coach, the offensive coordinator. Look at Justin Fields in Chicago. Was an absolute mess the first three years because Luke Getze didn't want to adapt to Justin Fields and his abilities and what he flourishes in. That's an issue. You know, you got to have coaches that can adapt to the quarterback strength. You need decent weaponry within the skill positions to be competitive. Look at the Carolina Panthers, absolute disaster. They fired their first year head coach and Frank Reich. They fired the GM. You got the owner, David Tepper, throwing his hard liquor at Jacksonville Jaguar fans because his team's that pathetic. You got to have, I don't care if you have a rookie quarterback, if you draft a rookie quarterback in the, with the number one overall pick, and I understand you're still trying to, you're in a rebuilding process, you got to have at least some sort of weaponry to go out there because otherwise you literally don't know what you have in your quarterback and you just throw a full year of a young quarterback right down the garbage disposal and for a rookie quarterback, for a young quarterback that you take early in the NFL draft, especially if you mortgage the future the way the Carolina Panthers did, you got to surround him with talent early because an NFL season, especially now, is a long season. We play 18 games now, 17 games when you throw in the bye. It's a long process. The season's very long. Players get hurt, and I get that. But especially for a young quarterback like Bryce Young that had all the talent in the world at Alabama, or I shouldn't say all the talent in the world because he did have a whole lot less than previous Alabama quarterbacks. You got to surround him with talent because then that just, that just damages him mentally. And then you got to find a whole new offensive system. He learned a whole new system there with Frank Reich. And now who they just fight. They just brought in their new head coach. Dave Canales, Buccaneers offensive coordinator. Now he comes in and now he's got to learn practically a whole nother new system. You can't do that to a young quarterback. It's not fair to Bryce Young. So when you throw all of that into the grand scheme of things, 
that just can't happen. And a large reason why the NFL product has been bad this year, because yes, the bad teams were just bad, bad. There were more bad teams than good teams. The NFC this year was horrific. Whereas you look at the AFC, 10 and 7 couldn't get you in into the final wild card spot. But it just seemed like every Thursday night game, every Monday night game, Sunday night football somehow, someway always does a great job in, in terms of getting the good game on TV and it always ends up being close or a low-scoring slugfest. They do a good job. But Thursday and Monday nights, man, second straight year where Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet were falling asleep by halftime. And that just can't happen. And like I said before, we're in this period where Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, C.J. Stroud, you know, they're going to start cementing their status within this league. They're going to be the new Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. As far as those are the guys you want to play. When we look at the rookies three years from now, when we're evaluating the talent in the NFL draft, and those guys are rookies playing in their first big-time game, and they're going up against Patrick Mahomes, those are the guys that they want to beat. Those are the guys that they want to go up against. So I think we're in this period right now where the NFL is kind of a dud because the young guys, the young guys from five years ago are cementing their status within their league. And right now those are the guys that are the top dogs or that will be the top dogs and give the NFL about three years and it'll kind of, it will be back to where it was. But right now, and when we're sitting here on January 29, 2024, and we reflect on the regular season, it was just a whole pile of crap. And it was unwatchable for a guy like me. All right, we got that out of the way. Let's get into the good teams, the games that mattered, and the games that happened this past weekend. Let's start out with the conference championship games and then let, let's start out with the AFC because the AFC was the first game on the board. It was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. The Kansas City Chiefs, believe it or not, were underdogs for the second straight week. They were underdogs at Buffalo, won the game outright in Orchard Park. Then went into MNT Bank Stadium against the number one seeded Baltimore Ravens. You got to credit the Chiefs here. They win 17 to 10. I was one of those guys that was on the... Patrick Mahomes wagon saying, prove it to us. Win a road game. If you're one of those guys, you got to go into the hostile environments and win it. You can't luck out by always getting the first round by every single year. And he did it. And now he shut me up. And I'll always own it when I'm wrong. And I, I never got to say it on this podcast, but anyone that tunes into our radio show every Thursday on a on 90.5 FM KSJS knew I was a big hater with Patrick Mahomes as far as this and how he's always lucked out because he's always had the good team, the elite receivers, the Hall of Fame coaches has always gotten away with not playing a road game. Well, he's done it in back-to-back -back weeks. And Patrick Mahomes, his team, no matter how pathetic they looked in the regular season with his wide receiver core and Travis Kelsey all wrapped around Taylor Swift's finger, he found they found a way to get it done. That defense Absolutely amazing. A defense that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And it's very underappreciated. But Patrick Mahomes in this game against Lamar Jackson, 30 for 39 passing, 241 yards, one touchdown. Isaiah Pacheco, Chiefs running back. By the way, seventh round pick out of Rutgers. People forget that. That's where all your all your talent comes from. Late in the draft, those third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 
in this case, seventh round picks. That's where they got to come from. That's how you got to generate talent. The Chiefs are one of the best in the business at getting those diamonds in the roughs and turning them into something special. And that's what Isaiah Pacheco is right now. He's had a terrific season. 24 carries, 68 yards on the ground, one touchdown. He's been so much more dynamic as far as that pass catcher for a running back. He didn't do it all too much this game. He only had four receptions, but he's expanded that within his game. If people recall the Chiefs, we're kind of reliant on Jarek McKinnon to do that the past couple seasons. And Pacheco has kind of taken that role in a way and has expanded his game to be that type of player within the Chiefs offense. We got to talk about Travis Kelsey. He's the focal point within this offense. He had himself a game, 11 catches, 116 yards, one touchdown. There was a big time. There was a couple big time plays in this game. As far as the Chiefs offense was concerned, where they just really, set the tone early. I'm talking on that fourth and two play on the plus side of the 50 on the Chiefs' first drive of the game. Fourth and two, you don't necessarily have to go for it in that spot early in the game, but most play, most teams in that no-man's land part of the field, too far to kick the field goal too, or too close in some instances to punt it, they say, let's go for it. We got Patty Mahomes. We got Travis Kelsey. We got our play here. They Draw up one heck of a play. Kelsey climbs the ladder, grabs, and makes the catch. Kelsey then records the touchdown on that very drive. That really set the tone early, put the Ravens behind the eight ball. They're one of those teams, the Baltimore Ravens, they like to play from ahead. And yes, we've seen them win games from behind with Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh. But as a road team, you really want to set the tone in that situation. I thought the Chiefs did. Let's talk about the Ravens side of things real quick. Worst game to lay an egg obviously, with your season on the line in the AFC Conference Championship game. The Kansas City Chiefs, or excuse me, the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens ran the ball 16 times. If I include Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, Zay Flowers on a couple jet sweeps, and Justice Hill. 16 times they put the ball on the ground. That can't happen. And I know what people are thinking. John Harbaugh. Todd Munkin, who actually, Todd Munkin, let's give him some credit, did a terrific job with this Baltimore Ravens as far as calling the plays, really got Lamar Jackson, regained his confidence after Greg Roman kind of turned him into a mess. Todd Munkin did a terrific job this season overall. Last game, this past Sunday, not all so much. You got to run the ball more times than not. You can't abandon the run. I don't care how many points you're down. And you weren't down much in this game. You were down by 10 points at most in this one, and that was at halftime. It doesn't matter if you're down 10 points at halftime or down 10 points at the end of the third quarter. The NFL is wacky. The NFL, the games, teams are never dead in the NFL. And you can't just abandon your game plan, especially you as a Baltimore Ravens group that is so dynamic running the football. How many guys have you replaced in the backfield over the years and they just go out there and do their job because your run scheme and your offensive line is just that good. The Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers are prime examples of that. Yet, the Baltimore Ravens abandoned the run. Now, I understand the players were tight. The coaches were tight. We've seen John Harbaugh over the years. I've talked about this on previous podcasts in the past, that John Harbaugh gets tight in fourth quarters. He gets tight, just like his, his brother Jim. They get tight in these big games. And they most certainly were tight. Late in this one. I mean, Lamar Jackson, 
If you told me that Lamar Jackson was going to drop back and throw 37 times in this game, I would have told you the Ravens were, were going to lose because it's just not Baltimore Ravens football. It's just not within their wheelhouse. And Lamar Jackson is not one of those guys that is going to drop back and throw 37 times unless we're talking about him being down 21 points and he's forced to throw the football. But that's just uncalled for, for a team like the Ravens. And they played their style of football the way they wanted to a lot this season. Every game it seemed like except this one. And I'll tell you what, folks. Steve Spagnuolo will do that to you. The way he disguises coverages, unexpected blitz packages. All things considering, Steve Spagnuolo, we talk about Andy Reid. We talk about Patrick Mahomes. He is one of the men behind the madness that make the Chiefs what they are. Because Patrick Mahomes wouldn't be too the Super Bowl for the five past seasons without Spagnuolo. They are really lucky they haven't lost him as a head coach. Spagnuolo now is going to be in his, what, fifth or sixth Super Bowl now? Tied for the most ever in NFL history. So there you have it. Steve Spagnuolo, he just finds a way, no matter what with personnel he's got. He This guy was winning games with, def with rookie defensive corners last year. With rookie corners. This guy was winning games with Jalen Watson and Brian Cook. They were rolling Deion Bush out there in the second half of this game. Like, doesn't matter. They lose They lose the Honey Badger Tyron Matthew. Oh, yeah, no problem. We'll go, we'll go get Justin Reed to do the same damn thing. Like, it's just unbelievable what this team does year after year after year on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that the, the defense for the Chiefs doesn't get enough credit because of what they have on the offensive side of the ball. So this team is still dangerous. They're one of those teams. They're what the dynasty teams do. Doesn't matter how they play in the regular season. They can flip that switch. And I thought the Chiefs were dead. You know, Everybody knows I'm a big believer. If you win the Super Bowl the next season, I expect you to have regression. And the Chiefs did have regression. But they found a way to make the playoffs. Somehow, someway, found a way to, make, to win the division. And here they are. It's just what great teams do. It's what dynasties do. And... And it's what Hall of Famers do. And that's exactly what the Chiefs have all over the place. So you got to credit them as the Chiefs are AFC champions once again. And they are going to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas, a stadium that they are very familiar with at Allegiant Stadium. All right, let's talk about the 49ers and the Lions game now. Because I have a whole lot to say about this one. 49ers. Barely escaped with the victory against the Green Bay Packers. By the way, they were a touchdown favorite plus in that game. They should have won that game going away. A whole lot of people thought they would. They thought that was going to be the drill spot for San Francisco. Well, it wasn't. They played with fire and, and escaped ever so slightly in their own backyard. They got away with murder in their own backyard last week against the Green Bay Packers. Well, they did it again against the Detroit Lions. And everyone was talking about, man... I don't think Niner fans can survive another week with going down Heart Attack Central. Well, they went through it once again with this very NFC Championship matchup between the Detroit Lions. The Lions had a terrific season. Jared Goff, everyone was calling Jared Goof. A lot of people I know were calling him Jared Goof. Can't call him that. Wasn't his fault that they lost this game. We'll get to him in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. But Jared Goff, remarkable season. All this talk about how he can't play in wet weather, which I do agree with. 
He plays in a dome. Good for him. Can't take that away from him. He plays good indoors. Terrific conditions in San Francisco. He was able to flourish. 25 for 41 passing, 273 yards, one touchdown, allowed two sacks. His offensive line did. This game does not fall on Jared Goff. And I know because he's on the losing side, all the memes and all the people on national media will probably, to a certain extent, bury Jared Goff a little bit. And sure, he's on the losing side. He's never beat the San Francisco 49ers in in his career. I get it. But the Lions were able to do whatever they wanted in this game. They ran the ball for 130-plus rushing yards on the ground in the first half. The 49ers were getting beat by their own game. They were losing the time of possession. The 49er offense did not look comfortable in this one. The Detroit Lions rush defense was stout. But the one thing I kept saying week after week after week with this Lion team, and we going back to last year too, but this was kind of the year where they finished the season strong last year, and next season, as in this season, this was the year where they could potentially break through and make a run. And they most certainly made a run, but they came up just short. But the one thing I kept saying, and a lot of people were saying this, this Detroit Lion team can go as far as they want to go. They control how far they want to go. And I know that might sound dumb, but we're going to talk about Dan Campbell here in a minute. Dan Campbell's recklessness, his decision-making on fourth downs, Went in a high leverage situations. It's what costs this team, but also wins teams his team's games. Let's talk about that Detroit Lion defense. Aiden Hutchinson, Elite McNeil, absolute beast on the defensive line. They get pressure every single game, but that's secondary. How are they going to hold up? Aaron Glenn's defense, Cam Sutton, Kirby Joseph, your linebackers. How are you guys going to hold up? Are you guys going to get torched in the middle of the field? Are you guys going to give up the big play? The yak yardage. Are you guys going to give up that? We didn't know what we were going to get with the Detroit Lion defense on a week-to-week basis. The offense was terrific. Ben Johnson, you're going to be a, you're going to be a head coach in about a year or two from now. I, I truly believe that. He's one of the next great head coaches because he he's so creative offensively with this group the past two seasons. But now, this game fell on the shoulders of Dan Campbell because you were up in this game by 17 points. You were up 24 to 7 when you kicked that field goal with Michael Badgley, 24 yards out. And then this game got hairy. This game got hairy because the San Francisco 49ers got the ball to start the second half. They settled for a field goal. Okay, you'll take it. And then Dan Campbell on the plus side of the 50, when you can go up three scores, say, you know what? Let's go for it on fourth and two. And when you're up 14 points, could have gone up 17. He said, let's bury him right now. And in that case, heck, I was sitting down eating dinner. I had the game on mute. I, I I didn't have any part of this 49er team. And I'm sitting down at the dinner table and I'm watching the, and I'm watching this game. And all of a sudden, I see the Detroit Lion offense out there. They don't get it. I start going crazy because I knew that Dan Campbell's degenerate gamble self on fourth down, he got in the way. He got in the way of his own mind. He's the type of guy that goes to Vegas, has a winning weekend. Then on the way out, three hours before his flight, 
going back to Detroit, says, you know what? Let's just put the whole bankroll on the line here at the blackjack table. And he lost because that was that was the point where the Niners got life. And you give the Niners life with that team, with Debo Samuel, with Jawan Jennings, with Brandon Ayuk, with Brock Purdy, with George Kittle, with Kyle Shanahan. You give those guys, those vets, those foundational players, that type of breathing room, that type of confidence, it's a brand new ball game. That's exactly what happened. The San Francisco 49ers came all the way back. They won the game. And it's not like they won this thing on a game-winning field goal. They had a 10-point lead at one point in the fourth quarter. Let's talk about the 49er, this 49er team real quick. Brock Purdy, have yourself a game. 20 for 31, 267 passing yards. He had one touchdown, one pick. But forget about all that. To me, it's the off-schedule stuff. Absolutely terrific. Because he had some of the biggest plays on his feet. When he had a, a, a wacky play, rolling left, throwing right over his shoulder into the middle of the field. Jawan Jennings made one heck of a catch. You do that in the Super Bowl. You do that in a whole lot of other games. It's going to get you in trouble. Coach Kyle Shanahan, he hates those plays. It makes him cringe. He said it before in post-game pressers, but... Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And we always say you need to be lucky to win a Super Bowl. You need to be lucky to make it this far. You need to stay healthy. Brock Purdy got lucky that play. Tip his cap and you move on to the next. But Brock Purdy, he had three, to my count, big time scrambles in this game for first downs. And we all know Brock, heck, he looks like a target model. Only getting paid less than a million bucks a year. And he's running... The San Francisco 49er offense. But I'm going to tell you what, folks. This kid is a sneaky good athlete. He's got sneaky good wheels. And for a guy that's gotten a lot of hate by the national media, you got to love the national media. You got you to gotta love these people because everyone was talking about Mr. Irrelevant this. Oh, when's this Cinderella run going to end? It, it ended because he got hurt by Hassan Reddick last season in that NFC championship game. But it's just amazing how the national media is just on this wild, wild roller coaster ride with certain players within this league. And I understand they got to stir the pot. They got to entertain people on Monday morning on TV. But th this is just unbelievable. Brian Clark. I and again, I'm not I'm not one of these guys that follows the national media like crazy. I try to block it out as much as possible because they all are a bunch of clowns. But Ryan Clark, this guy's just comical. The way he's just talking about on Monday Night Countdown and this and that. And he said, the hardest thing for me to do was to act like Brock Purdy was in the MVP conversation and actually a good quarterback. Like, get this malarkey out of here. And by the way, he did pick the Detroit Lions to win outright. It's and you know, God, God bless him because, you know, he had the he had the career ending injury and everyone thought that. Who knows what his future holds? And yes, he's he's had it. He's had a good career on TV, and he's made it to something post football and post NFL. But come on, man, don't don't be pathetic here. And and yes, he's on first. He was on first take saying this. He was with Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp and all the, all of those other jabronis trying to act cool and trying to make a storyline within himself. But come on, man. Yeah, let let's get let's get it together. All right, let, let's get back to this game here because there were there were some big-time plays in this game and some plays that I think are going to get brushed under the water is Kyle Huszczyk. 
two catches, 33 yards. Those two catches were awesome. Off-schedule play again by Brock. That explosive to Huszczyk on the right side of the right hash, that was an off-schedule play. He was directing traffic. Huszczyk was wide open. By the way, Kyle Huszczyk, big part of the run game, never gets talked about when you talk about all the other skill position players. He is one of the more important players on that 49er offense. And trust me, folks, he is the last read on all those plays. In fact, he's probably not even a read on those plays. He's kind of just out there to be a decoy. But the craftiness, the veteranness, if Huszczyk says, you know what, I got an opening. I'm going to put my hand up. And Brock was able to recognize it. He directed traffic. They found themselves an opening, and they got the 49er offense back up and running in the second half. How about that Huszczyk tiptoe snag? on the 49er sideline when the Niners were deep in their own territory. That reignited that offense. It reignited that Levi Stadium crowd. So Kyle Huszczyk, kind of one of the unsung heroes in this game, one of the wild cards in this game that a whole lot of people didn't see coming. And he doesn't make a whole lot of catches. But he found a way to make stuff happen. Brock was doing his thing for for a 49er offense that, you know, is very on schedule. And, you know, as long as you deliver the ball in the right spot to the playmakers, as long as you hand off the ball on the right side to the right running back, you'll be okay. And that's the one thing, and that's what the the average person would say. As long as you don't screw up within that offense, as long as you don't turn it over and make that mistake. I think that was the one downfall of Jimmy G. And I love Jimmy G, but we all knew that that one turnover was going to come. We didn't know when it was going to come, but it was going to come at some point in the game. And even those playoff games that we knew that they were going to have, we were going to have some sort of blunder with Jimmy G, that one bad throw, that one pass that he sails to straight to the defense. And it just kills all the momentum and gives the other team life. And Brock Purdy, yes, he makes mistakes. He doesn't he didn't make them as much as Jimmy Garoppolo. But I have to say, it's those plays on his feet. It's the off schedule stuff that makes him different from the past couple quarterbacks, or at least within the Kyle Shanahan era. It's what separates Brock from all the other quarterbacks that have been with Shanahan. It's the ability to extend plays, to roll out left, to buy you that one extra second or two seconds of time. And make that play, make that throw on third and long. That third and th- one third and 13th this season, the Jawan Jennings. You know, we've seen him. And that that's what separates Brock from some of the other quarterbacks within this Kyle Shanahan system. Because we all know when it comes down to it, the quarterback is the most important player, the most important position on the football field. If you don't have that it quarterback to make a play, Potentially in the Super Bowl, inside the two-minute warning in a tie game. We've seen Patrick Mahomes. We've seen the great ones do it. We've seen the few, the, the Hall of Famers do that. To make that one play, that one off-schedule play, just pull a rabbit out of your hat and get it done, Brock is more than capable of doing it. And I know he's not the most flashiest quarterback, but he just goes out there, does his job, he believes he's very humble, doesn't, and he doesn't glorify himself when he has a great game. He's he's all about 
what's next. He's all about winning the Vince Lombardi trophy. And you got to respect that out of the guy because there was a lot, there were a lot, there was a lot of quarterbacks out there. There are a lot of players out there that have their ego and make it all about them. And Brock is just not one of those guys. And I understand like, oh yeah, the quarterback has to be that. But when you got a whole lot of dudes getting paid a whole lot of money within this 49er team, and he's the guy, ironically enough, he's the guy making the least amount of money, and he's just going about his business, that you have to respect. But the 49ers, when it's all said and done, win this game. 34-31, to 31, they gave all the Niner fans another scare, another crazy game, and I don't expect the Super Bowl to be any different between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, we're talking, literally, we're recording this 18 hours after the NFC Championship game ended. I got no idea on my thoughts on this Super Bowl. Obviously, I'll give you the pick right now. I'm a Niner fan, so I'm going to say the Niners are going to win. Do I feel confident about it? Not really, because I've seen the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely tear up this very 49er team. I, w- I was there for 49ers versus Chiefs at Levi Stadium. Patrick Mahomes' first ever game at Levi Stadiums. He torched us. He put over 400 yards on the gr- on through the air. Three touchdowns, one interception. 49ers lost that game 44-23. to They've lost this game so many times to Patrick Mahomes. I'll never forget the game in Kansas City where Jimmy G tore his ACL in week three. The first, the first year of the Jimmy G era, we lost it. And it came right down to the wire. And that was kind of the, the coming out party for Patrick Mahomes. That was the year where people thought he had his Linsanity run. And then he came all the way back. So there you have it. The 49ers and the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl. Like we were saying, the way I look at it now, not the greatest matchup for the 49ers, but this is a 49er team that is completely different, that has won two come-from-behind games in this playoffs, and they have all the confidence in the world and getting revenge for Super Bowl 54, that game where the Niners had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and ultimately blew the game. That's going to do it for this episode of the Sports Sentiment. We will be back. We got a whole lot more stuff cooking here on this podcast. We're going to be switching gears into the college basketball landscape of things. We're going to have Jonathan Connors back on this very podcast to talk Mountain West hoops, kind of give the folks an update on what's going on there because, man, oh, man, has that been some good stuff within the college basketball world and things going on collegiately have just been awesome on that end. So Jonathan and I will touch on that. And then we'll have our Super Bowl preview We'll have another podcast completely talk about the Super Bowl. We'll get into some of the wacky and quirky stats of the Super Bowl like how we did last year. So keep it locked in here on the Sports Sentiment. Once again, I am your host, Nick Urias, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.